Do you ever feel like your space is stifling your homemaking? Maybe you dream of a bigger home so your large family can spread out more. Or you're hesitant to show hospitality in the smallness of your dorm room or studio apartment. In today's episode, we discover that a home built with love has rubber walls. Hello, homemakers, and welcome to the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I'm a wife, a mom, and I've been practicing the art of home for over 29 years. We are halfway through season three of the art of home, and we just want to say thank you so much for listening, for following, for subscribing, sharing with others, and for sending us such encouraging messages about how the podcast is helping you in your practice of the art of home. We are seeing steady growth in listenership, and I give most of that credit to you, our audience. Every time you share on social media or recommend the podcast to a friend, you're helping us grow. So thank you. Keep sharing, keep commenting and liking, direct message us on Instagram and let us know what other questions you'd like us to ask these homemakers that we interview. We're producing this show for you. So tell us what you'd like to hear. In today's show, I'm talking to 34-year homemaking veteran Joyce Newhall. Actually, Joyce feels like she's been homemaking even longer than her 34-year marriage. She remembers feeling like her college room was a home where she could make others feel welcome with a comfy chair and a ready teapot. Today, Joyce has a plaque in her office that reads, A home built with love has rubber walls. She has seen firsthand how love stretches and expands the capacity of a home, no matter what its size or limitations. Where love is, there's always enough and there's always room for one more. So whether you're carving your fall pumpkins or raking up the leaves, we hope you enjoy Joyce's story of home. All right, I'm here with my friend Joyce Newhall. And Joyce, before we go back to the beginning of your homemaker story, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are today? Okay, Um, well, I have been married to Scott for almost 34 years. And we have four married children and currently three grandchildren. We've got two in heaven and two on the way. Mm. Um, I, I serve at the Bible Study Fellowship headquarters in San Antonio, Texas, but I'm really um, from Indiana. We lived in Indiana for 38 years. Um, our whole married life, we lived in one zip code. And wow. we thought that was pretty neat until we moved here. And we love it here. So it's been a great adventure for us. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit about us. We're, we cover four time zones uh, with our family. Mm-hmm. And um, that includes Canada. We have a daughter who is um, from Vietnam who became a part of our family about 11 years ago. Wow. And so she's up there now. And we are we're just... <laughs> We're really spread out, but yeah. we love to see each other when we can. That's awesome. Yeah, this is a lot different than Indiana. A lot less snow, that's for sure. A lot less snow <laughs> and a lot more sun. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. We, lo- we love both places. Uh-huh. So. That's good. Do you get to go back to Indiana pretty often? Pretty often. Um, the fact that we've got kids from Bellingham, Washington, all the way to Ohio and mm-hmm. um, Colorado, so we we have to travel quite a bit, so we fit Indiana in there, but mm-hmm. my siblings and my, my mama still live there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm actually going back next week to celebrate her birthday. So. Oh, and it's going to be so pretty because the colors mm-hmm. for fall yeah. should be pretty, pretty well underway. Just getting started really yeah. nicely. Those reds and mm-hmm. I love the red and the yellow. Those are my two favorite. I really miss that. We used to live in the Chicago area and I miss those definitive four seasons. Mm-hmm. Although I don't miss the brownout is what we called it. It was like eight months where everything was brown. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't miss that at all. No. No. All right. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. So when did you first become a homemaker? That is such a great question. And I thought about it. Um, I would say probably when I went to college. Okay. Um, I, I had a room that was mine, my own room, my freshman year. And I remember thinking, I want this to be a place where people can come. Mm. And it was a really, really small room. So I, I did whatever I could. But then by the time I was a senior, I also, again, for the first time since my freshman year, had a room that was all to myself. And it was a bigger room because I was a senior. And so I had a, a like soft chair in there. Mm-hmm. And 
I always had like a little teapot ready for people. And, um, so that was, that was a place where people could come and we could just have good conversations. And so I felt like I was a homemaker then. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, good. So how was it different when you went from having your own little college space to then being married and living with another person? That, that was a big change. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt comfortable right away. Scott and I felt comfortable together. Um, it, he has always been one who's willing to pitch in and help me, mm. which is great. Um, because we, we actually bought a duplex when we got married and, oh. um, I was a teacher and I had a little money saved and he was just finishing college. Um, and so we had, uh, an up down duplex and it was a really old home built in 1923. And so it had a lot of little quirks about it and, a, you know, little secret compartments and big old farmhouse sink. And it was just a really neat, interesting home, but upstairs we had tenants. And so um, one of them had a washer and dryer and we didn't have that. And so she said, if you let me use your basement where the washer and dryer could reside, you can use our washer and dryer. Oh. And so we shared the washer and dryer. So I, I felt like my home was, was also the home of the two women that lived upstairs because yeah. they could just come in that back door and kind of in and out. And so I was caring for Scott and caring for them, and mm. um, they were actually older than I was, but I still felt like because I owned the home, I wanted them to feel yeah. comfortable there too. Yeah. All right. Did you have any training when you first started homemaking, whether in college or uh, when you were married? I mean, did your did your mom train you or your grandma, or did you have any kind of skills when it, you left home? I did, and it was my mother, and I'm grateful for that. She grew up with two sisters and a mom. And so she had, you know, chores to do a mm-hmm. little bit here and there. But when she got married, she didn't have a lot of skills. Okay. And that bothered her a lot. And so she really wanted us to have the skills. And so I started cooking when I was probably six or seven. Wow. Um, by the time I was nine, I could literally make like a whole course dinner by myself. That's amazing. And she let us mess up in the kitchen and you know, all that and laundry and cleaning. We had five kids. So there was the, you know, the rotating chore chart. And so we literally learned how to do all the house things. Um, so I, I knew how to do everything. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. My mom didn't. And so it really bothered her. So she didn't want that repeated. She was very intentional <laughs> she about was. making sure that happened. Well, yeah. that's really cool. So what was your steepest learning curve once you, you were out on your own and keeping your own home? What was the hardest thing for you? This is not hard to figure out. I know what it is. <laughs> I uh, organization does not mm-hmm. come naturally to me. I like things organized, but I'm not naturally okay. a detail oriented person w- with the tiny details of keeping everything orderly. And so, um, it, you know, and those things just don't magically happen. And that, that was one thing I didn't figure out. My mother is very naturally that way, and uh-huh. so I just assumed, and so was my sister actually, and I just assumed that that I knew how to clean things and I knew how to cook things and I even knew how to sew things, but just keeping it under control. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't great at that. What was it that helped you to sort of master that skill of organization or where was, where do you feel like you went over the, the hill with that and you had kind of reached a, a level of competency? That's a, that's also a great question. Um, I remember being a young mom, we had four kids in four and a half years. So, um, I, I used to call it happy chaos. Our, our life was crazy, but I, I would come to the end of the day. And sometimes I felt like, have, have I accomplished anything today? Really? And I regularly listened to focus on the family Mm -hmm. while I would be doing my chores around the house or taking care of the kids. And I remember one day, this woman named Sandra Felton spoke, and she was um, talking about this book she had written called The Messy's Manual. Okay. And she started describing the different ways that you might be a person who has a messy home. And I I literally started (laughs) sobbing listening to her because I, for the first time, like heard myself and realized I literally will walk circles sometimes in my kitchen, not knowing which thing to do first. And Um, but I felt a little bit like there is hope for me. So 
I, I bought her little book and, mm-hmm. um, you know, she kind of gave some tips of just how to get yourself under control. And, and I, I wasn't, it didn't come quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured things out as time went by and I started to learn what the low hanging fruit was and to figure <laughs> out what can I fix now. And then, um, and I learned to accept help from my husband. Um, mm-hmm. he would offer things sometimes I remember one time coming home from somewhere with the kids and he was cleaning out the refrigerator and I, I thought, oh gosh, he does not think I'm doing a good enough job. (laughs) And really it was just him trying to love me and help me, you know? So I, I learned, I learned a lot in those early years. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. That's really good. Well, let's talk about balance a little bit. Okay. Um, did you ever work outside the home? I, I did, I was a teacher for three years and Mm -hmm. then I had four kids in four and a half years and I stayed home for 16 and a half years. And then I went into human resources, which was nowhere on my radar when, you know, when that Mm -hmm. began, um, it was going to be a 10 to 15 hour a week, little side thing that turned in about three months in, it turned into a 40 hour a week job and I found myself on the management team. And so I, I just didn't expect it. Um, I was also, at that point, I was also teaching Bible study with Bible study fellowship. I was Mm -hmm. a teaching leader. And so that was like having another full-time job. Mm -hmm. And those two things were overlapping with each other. And at that point, did you still have children at home? I did. So really you had like three jobs. I kind of had three jobs. Oh my gosh. So how did you, how did you manage that? What did you do to like keep sane? I, you know, (laughs) I'm so grateful that God had laid down so much foundation Mm -hmm. during those 16 years that I was home, mm-hmm. um, of, of how to do a lot and keep a lot of plates spinning. Um, you know, I did leadership at church and I did serve in Bible study fellowship all those years and I helped with school and, and yeah. those kind of things. So I learned how to juggle a lot and delegating is really important. And mm-hmm. so I, I shared the load with the kids and yeah. I, I shared the load with Scott and, and he shared his load with me. And I think that's a, a part of it too is, Mm-hmm. you can't carry all the balls yourself. Right. You just have to figure out which ones you're supposed to carry. And right. there were times I felt like I'm an epic failure, you know, I mean, just being honest. Yeah. Um, but then I realized, no, that's not true. That's okay for, for them to do that. Or it's okay for him to do that. And um, for us to share this together, because we're a family. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about having four kids in four and a half years. <laughs> And what kind of special challenges did that present? Um, well, that's a good question. I I I enjoyed it. I think if it's if it's special challenges, probably would be keeping them all clothed, yeah. keeping them all <laughs> alive, alive. <laughs> but that really that really was okay with me. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of what was okay. Is mm-hmm. at the end of the day, do they all? love each other? Do they all love Jesus? Um, are they treating other people well? And so we invested a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, the special challenges of just uh, the, the matrix, I called, I called my calendar the matrix uh-huh. because, you know, we had choir and basketball and football and soccer and volleyball and all the things we did piano lessons and viola and like so many things they all wanted to do and Mm -hmm. little by little we did it all but I I did have to say you get to do one sport and one other thing Mm -hmm. you know oh sure there's four of you and so I we can't be everywhere at one time and we all we all need to spend some time together so yeah yeah and I'm sure them the fact that they're so close in age they're probably very close they are now as adults. Yeah. And, and they were then too. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny, even though they were that close, we still had two and two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. The first two are a boy and a girl and they are just, they were like joined at the hip and mm-hmm. the younger two, um, were the younger, you know, the little boys, the littles, yeah. which they didn't really love. Um, <laughs> and so we had to stop calling them the little boys. Um, Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, you're, you're going into junior high. You don't want to be called a little, little boy. boys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I know. We did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about expectations. Okay. We sometimes go into our home life. We get married. We have certain expectations about what it's going to look like and be like, did the day-to-day reality of that life match any expectations that you might've brought in? 
Yes, I was really grateful. My my expectation was that I would get to stay home with the kids mm-hmm. and do the cooking and do the, you know, make cookies and all yeah. those things that I kind of dreamt of doing. The expectation that my house would magically be clean all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know how come I had that expectation, um, but it was not real. <laughs> so yeah. I had to figure out how to make that a reality. Um, but the the family life was mm-hmm. exactly what I what I wanted it to be when the kids were little, and then as they got older, you know, there there's always challenges, mm-hmm. um, and and we learned to kind of figure those things out together. Yeah. yeah, you know, were there any particular challenges that you had to face as a homemaker that stand out to you? This one was kind of surprising to me, and it led to something that was neat, but it was surprising to me. Because I was a stay-at-home mom, I felt like, you know, I'm here all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping the house. The kids come home. By that time, you know, I, my, my daughter is in third grade. And, um, and I'm making dinner one night, and she says to me, Mom, um, I really miss you. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, I'm here all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm at school with you sometimes. We go to Bible study together. I, you know, like that surprised me that mm-hmm. she would say that. But she had three brothers and we had a busy schedule and there were, you know, there were chores to do and there was cooking to do and there were all that kind of things. And there was just this general, like, yes, life is pleasant, but she needed some one-on-one time. And mm-hmm. so we decided that we would get up early in the morning um, a half an hour early before everybody else got up and we would have tea together, which kind of harkened back to my college years when tea was my way to connect with people. And uh-huh. so, um, the boys got wind of it and then they decided they wanted in. And so <laughs> then I began rotating, you know, every day belonged to a kid and we had one buffer day, you know, during the week because we only had four kids and there were five days. But I think that was something that was surprising uh-huh. to me. Yeah. Um, as a as a homemaker who was home with my kids all the time, I thought that they would sure. feel connected. Um, that's really interesting. So, what did you your tea time? What did you do at your tea time? Oh, that's a great question. We would, I would just ask them questions and listen, mm-hmm. talk about school, talk about you know what what was hard for them, what was they were struggling with, the good things. Um, talked a lot about God. Um, mm-hmm just who he is and mm-hmm. how he was there with them. I remember um, our our middle son is hilarious. He's just, he's hilarious. And he's um, a great storyteller. And when something funny would hit him, he would just blurt it out in school. And I'd go to the parent-teacher conference and I would hear something about him. Yeah, And um, it always was like, he's not trying to be disrespectful. Um, but, (laughs) and so I remember sitting on the floor, you know, in, in our fairly cleaned up house with a blanket over us and we're drinking tea. And I just said, Stephen, you know what? I, you know, I talked to your teacher yesterday and, um, when something funny comes to your mind, I think you should just tell your jokes to Jesus. And, And he would come home and tell me like, mom, this is what I did, you know, and it's still, I mean, it's still a funny thing in our family today that he would tell Tell his jokes jokes to to Jesus. Jesus. So you don't get in trouble in school, you know? (laughs) That's so great. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, funny. All right. Let's talk about hospitality. Okay. All right. Um, we show hospitality to the people that don't live here, obviously, when we invite them in, but we're also showing hospitality to one another all the time mm-hmm. because we are, we're cultivating a sense of belonging um, in our homes. So how do you intentionally show hospitality to your family members that, that lived here when, when they were all here? When, so when everybody was growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's a fun question to answer. I think the biggest way is that we did little things for each other, mm-hmm. um, make somebody's bed and leave mm-hmm. them a note or put a piece of chocolate on their pillow or invite them into something that you were doing mm-hmm. and make them be a part of it. Um, so cooking was not just mom's job, but mm-hmm. a lot of times I would invite the kids to do it with me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think projects 
Katie and I did a lot of wallpaper stripping and, you know, the boys helped me in the garden and different things like that, where it was, we were together in it. Um, yeah. And they felt like this was, this was their place too. Yeah, sure. Um, I've, and I also think a part, a part of it, I, I think you're going on to talk about how we offer it a hospitality yes. to other people, yes. but I felt like part of offering hospitality to my own children and to Scott was that their home could be a place where they could invite someone else in right. and it felt safe for them to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And not like it had to be perfect. It just had to be warm and welcoming. Yeah. Um, and silly little things like I love to make homemade hot chocolate mm-hmm. and um, I like to make just plain old on the stove popcorn with real butter on it. And oh, yum. so if we were, you know, doing something like on a Friday night, watching a movie or whatever, mm-hmm. they'd go, mom, will you make the hot chocolate? Oh. And so it was like a requested thing yeah. um, because, and they'd say, nobody makes it like you do, which is absolutely not true. But <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just cocoa powder and sugar and salt, but I, and a lot of vanilla, but, I, but it was something that they knew that was kind of unique and special. And so yeah. those were the little things that I think made them feel oh. homey in their home. That's really special. Okay. So I'm going to ask because I'll get asked, can you share that recipe with us? Oh, sure. It's, it's Is there an actual recipe or are you one that you just kind of eyeball it? it? It started out with an actual recipe, okay. like literally on the Hershey's cocoa yes. box um, on the side where it just, mm-hmm. and you take a quarter of a cup of, of water and, you know, some cocoa powder and you stir it in there and put the salt in. But over time, truthfully, as the years have gone by, it's really now it's an eyeball thing. And I, I play with it like, oh, I've got some caramel macchiato coffee creamer in the refrigerator. I wonder if that would be good in there. So, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like, sorry, it's like that. So you use water, you don't use milk. Well, that's just a tiny, tiny little bit Uh of, to get the cocoa powder and the sugar dissolved. Oh, okay. But then, then, you add the milk. then it's like milk and half and half, gotcha. or if I okay. have cream or whatever I have that can make it really rich and yummy, nice. then yes, that. Okay, cool. And, and if I ever put anything like coffee creamer and it's like a splash for a flavor, but mm-hmm. really it's just the, it's the cream, like heavy cream or half and half that makes it really delicious. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then How could it, it not be? And then just whip up a little real whipping cream to make you know, whipped cream. So it's got like take a it dollop the on the top. Yes. And <laughs> if you have Hershey syrup, you may or may not drizzle that all over the top of it. That yes. sounds fabulous. We've done that. <laughs> okay. That sounds like a, a real winner. Absolutely. It's kind of like a food group into itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you touched a little bit of, on hospitality to other people, wanting your children to feel like they could bring anybody here and they yeah. would be welcome. Are there any other ways that your family showed hospitality to outsiders? Well, we had two foreign exchange students and that was really special. We had one from South Korea um, and she lived with us for a year. And then, and then we had my ton and she became our daughter. Mm. Um, She lived with us her senior year of high school. And, and at that point I was in a string of, um, we ended up with five high school graduations, five years in a row. Um, And so, but she just became a part of our family Mm. in a, in a forever kind of way. Uh And, um, so having, having her, you know, come and live with us, um, we had somebody else come in and live with us once for about nine months, Mm -hmm. um, who just was in a place in life where they needed to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was also a really special time. Um, you know, he was, didn't grow up in our home, but he was really special to us. And, Mm -hmm. and we learned a lot from him and he learned a lot from us. And yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So when your when your now daughter came to stay with you, mm-hmm. uh, and she was from Vietnam, Vietnam, uh-huh. okay, Hanoi. So how I don't know if you can speak for her, but what were some of the challenges that she faced? Because I'm sure home life here was very different from home life in Vietnam. You know, just the culture is so different. Right. Were there cultural things that she had to sort of overcome, or you guys had to overcome to make her feel welcome here, like she was really a part of the family? Yes, we we had to learn what was important to her, even just simple things like things to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that I think I think eating, sleeping, those are the things that make you feel really like mm-hmm. those are things that are that are big. And at that point she really wasn't a 
a cook. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she had people in her home in Vietnam who, who did cook. Uh-huh. And so, so she didn't really learn how to do it, but she knew what she liked to eat. And so we kind of did research and we kind of figured things out. And I found a, a um, an Asian market and we would go there and, cool. and find things that like looked and felt like home to her. Mm -hmm. And then we figured out what to do with them. And she's an amazing cook now. I love it when she comes because she'll cook for us now. And she's a great cook. But um, she was, she was 15 when she came to the U S and then we had her her first year and then we, we got her when she was 16. So Mm -hmm. she was a senior in high school, but she was very young and Uh um, just quickly became a part of us. That's really cool. So would you, um, if you if someone out there is listening and they're thinking about bringing in exchange students, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? Oh, that's a good question. I would say um, just be open. I think that's the hardest part in the beginning is helping real conversations to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the temptation for them to maybe go and stay up in their room and get on the zoom or FaceTime or whatever yeah. with their, with their family at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but just be incredibly intentional to have them at family meals or mm-hmm. when you go out and do something. And she was going to school with, with our youngest son at that point. And, um, so they had the car ride every day. And so if you, those are just the daily things. And then being really, really open when there's struggle, like this is not working out in this one little area. Like mm-hmm. I need you to whatever and, mm-hmm. and invite them into doing the home tours and all of those mm-hmm. things. Um, and that opens the door too, I think for them to be able to say, this isn't working out for me in this area. And yeah. like, I don't feel comfy here. And so, you know, we had those kind of conversations rather early and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, it bore a lot of fruit, you know? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Well, thanks for sharing about that experience. That's, yeah. that's really unique. Really sweet to us. Yeah. yeah. We will get back to Joyce's story in just a few minutes. Right now, it's time for Historical Homemaker Hints, the part of the podcast where we highlight some of the helpful and not-so-helpful hints doled out to homemakers throughout history. Today's hints come from The American Frugal Housewife, an 1833 Homemaker's Guide by Mrs. Child. Here are two handy tips for Mrs. Child to tell if your eggs are bad. To prove whether they are good or bad, hold the large end of the egg to your tongue. If it feels warm, it is new, but if cold, it is bad. In proportion to the heat or cold is the goodness of the egg. Another way to know is to put the egg in a pan of cold water. The fresher the egg, the sooner it will fall to the bottom. If rotten, it will swim. Now, I've known this last tip for quite a while. I remember it as dead eggs float, like dead men float, so does a dead or rotten egg. There you go. I'm not sure about the one where you touch the end to your tongue and it's hot or cold. Maybe that has to do with if you have chickens and you're literally bringing them right in from the chicken coop. I don't know. But I do know that the second tip works about dead eggs floating, so you can use that one. Mrs. Child gives the following recipe for citrus-infused brandy. Have a bottle full of brandy with as large a mouth as any bottle you have, into which cut your lemon and orange peel when they are fresh and sweet. This brandy gives a delicious flavor to all sorts of pies, puddings, and cakes. Right, I'm sure it was just for baking purposes that she was making this brandy. And finally, Mrs. Child would never waste money on a trip to the spa when she can DIY her sauna at home. People in general think they must go abroad for vapor baths, but a very simple one can be made at home. Place strong sticks across a tub of water at the boiling point and sit upon them entirely enveloped in a blanket, feet and all. Okay, are you getting this ridiculous mental picture? The steam from the water will be a vapor bath. Some people put herbs into the water. Steam baths are excellent for severe colds and for some disorders of the bowels. They should not be taken without the advice of an experienced nurse or physician, and great care should be taken not to renew the cold after. It would be doubly dangerous. 
I love that she goes to the trouble of giving us a disclaimer about checking with our doctors first. And then she tells us we shouldn't catch a cold right after doing our DIY sauna. I don't know how you're supposed to control that. But at the same time, she's telling us to put boiling water in the bathtub and lay some strips of wood on top and sit over it. Hmm. I don't know, Mrs. Child. Well, that's it for today's historical homemaker hints. As always, please remember this segment is for entertainment purposes only, and I leave it to you, the listener, to determine the safety and soundness of this advice. Now back to Joyce's story. All right, let's talk a little bit about the seasons of homemaking. Okay. So how would you say that your role as a homemaker has changed over time? So when the kids were little, or even when we were very first married, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was Scott and I were both working when we first got married. Right. And so we, we literally just shared everything. We shared the cooking, we shared the cleaning. We sh- and then, you know, the next season was I was home and he was working and he had multiple things he was doing because when I stepped out of teaching, we lost more than half our income. Mm. And then we had all these kids. Yeah. And so he was just a trooper and, you know, he was working at a bank and he was in the, in the Marine Corps reserves and he had a lawn care business. And so he was doing all the things, um, to make it so that I could stay home. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud of him and I wanted our, our home to be a place that he felt like he could come at the end of this hard day. But also I was working really hard during the day and all young moms do, you know, Mm -hmm. I I see them now. I, my daughters, I watch them with their kids and they're working really hard. Um, but I think just the, then the swirl happened, you know, when the kids are little, your schedule kind of drives family life. Exactly. But when they get a little bit older, their schedule drives family life Mm -hmm. and you, you put yours in between theirs. And, and, um, and so we had to work really hard too, even as a husband and wife, I think Mm -hmm. to maintain that, um, you know, we used to have in-house date nights after the kids would go to bed. And so I would try to make our home like a really nice and cozy place for us to do something special, even if it was just at home. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and then as, as the kids went off to college, when the last one left for college, I remember we dropped him off and we walked in the house and I kind of, I, I, I mean, I already let three kids go. I yeah. didn't see this coming. The first two went 12 hours from home. Um, he was only two hours away. And so it felt like I would be fine. I had done this right, except yeah wrong. And I walked in the door and I looked at our big, huge kitchen table, um, knowing that it was going to be just the two of us eating at it. And I thought, I don't like to see that table like that. And so I thought I have two choices. I can be just a hot mess over this, Mm -hmm. um, or I can do something different. And so I took the leaf out of the table and I squished it down. (laughs) So it looked smaller. And, um, I said to work, like, I, I just thought, well, it's August and it's hot and it's not really fall, but I need to do something. So I went and got all my fall decorations out and I decorated and I thought, you know, it'll just be like, I'm turning a corner here. I'm just making a decision. And like all good children do, then we weren't really empty nesters very long. We had, (laughs) (laughs) we had post-college kids come home and stay with us, which was great. But for that year, we were experiencing something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And then marrying them off, that was another step because our daughter came and she did. She taught it. She taught her first year after college and she lived with us and we were called the roomies and she, <laughs> she was done working, you know, after school. So when we would get home, she had like dinner ready for oh, us. Wow. Oh, that's fabulous. I highly recommend that. <laughs> like, and of, of the people in the family who's naturally organized, it's my daughter, Katie. Okay. She's terrific at it. And so, you know, she, she could have run the whole thing single-handedly and um, was wonderful at it. So when she left and moved to Ohio from Indiana, um, that was another moment mm-hmm. of of really truly having to let go. That kind of surprised me. I I thought I like she went to college twelve hours from home. Right. I will be fine, but I was letting go in a new way and mm-hmm. handing her over to Eric, which was the most joyous thing I've ever done. But yeah, I, it was still really hard. Um, 
And then moving here was another big step Mm -hmm. because we had lived in that house for 20 years. And when we moved to Texas, um, Scott was actually still in Indiana Mm. um, closing up shop and I needed to be here to start my new job. And, you know, he was, he was moving so I could do this work that God had called me to do. And he saw it as an us thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of what I needed to do was get us a home and, I had never bought a house by myself. (laughs) So I went around with a realtor and I, I kept walking into houses that I thought, I feel a little bit like I'm in prison in here. I don't, you know, it was just, just the architecture was different and the, you know, not a lot of big, tall trees and lush green grass and open, wide open spaces like we had in Indiana. It's just a lot different here. And, um, and then we walked into this house and I thought, this is it. Yeah. I'm, I'm home. And I knew that I was home and I was really anxious to get him here. And, you know, we closed on the house and we moved in and we worked on unpacking boxes one at a time until we got them all done because we were both working. But I, I feel like really home here. And that's great. Yeah. That's great that you had the opportunity to do that and that you were brave enough to do that by yourself. I mean, I guess you had to, you really didn't have a choice, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's the architecture here is different probably than what you were used to in Indiana and in other parts of the country. There's Mm -hmm. sort of a hill country look. Right. And I love it now that I'm comfy with it, you know, but it would have been very foreign to you. It was um, coming from the land of lots of arts and crafts style um, architecture and, you know, just very traditional style. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Yeah. So yeah, I love like the arches and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the brick and all that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. Well, I'm glad you found a place to be at home. Thank you. Yeah. How are you still challenging yourself to grow as a homemaker where you are right now in your journey? You know, it's funny. I, my mother-in-law, my mother, my mother was not one to change things up ever. Mm-hmm. Like, her couch sat in the same place for literally 42 years in her living room. And, and her pictures on the wall were the pictures on the wall and all of that. My mother-in-law, about every six weeks, changed her house. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Like, wow. She literally would like switch things up. She was a, like one who would go to a, an estate sale or a garage sale, and she'd find new little doodads. And um, she sold you know, home interiors for years and all back in the day, you know, yes. when that was a thing. And so she was one who just liked to, to change things up. Yeah. And she would talk to me about decorating and, mm-hmm. you know, how to put things together so it would make a little grouping or, or whatever. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm not super great at that, but that is a place where I have intentionally been watching, mm-hmm. especially even since I've come to Texas, mm-hmm. as I've gone into the homes of my friends who I work with. And I, I've just experienced that, oh, they've got a beautiful, just a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've, I've really started paying attention to that. So I've been looking at art pieces and things that I never really did before, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like in this stage of my life, um, like that's a place I want to grow is, yeah. is learning how to do that. Yeah more the aesthetic side of your environment. Mm -hmm. Because I think you you've got the whole emotional and relational side down. You know, (laughs) there's love in these walls, and you can tell. Um, But I know what you're saying about wanting to sort of stretch yourself in a new area. And maybe it's that for you, it's that aesthetic side. Yeah, your house is lovely. Oh, thank you. You have lovely things. And they're all tied to memories as we were going through before we started recording. And you were telling me all these stories. That's my favorite kind of decor is the decor that it means something like this came from my friend so and so who did brought this back from her trip to wherever or all the pieces in your china cabinet that came from your kids' mission trips. Yeah. Which is amazing Aww. that they thought to bring that back for you. And, and I love that you've used it to decorate in your home. That's really special. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. How are you intentionally passing on your knowledge as a homemaker, as a wife, as a mom, as a whatever, fill in the blank, to the women coming behind you? Primarily the women coming behind me right now are are my daughter and mm-hmm. my my daughter my Jen, who's I still can only call her my daughter and my two, my three daughters in law, and the truth is, um, 
I, I share my experiences pretty openly with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the places where I've bumped my nose against the wall or the things that went really well. And um, my son-in-law works at a place where they talk about um, reverse mentoring. And I have, I have discovered that my daughters are all amazing at decorating. I mean, they really, some of them have been asked, Hey, will you do the decor at this wedding? Or will you come in? They're just like naturally really good at it. And they have all very different styles. None of them are exactly like the others. Uh Um, But I feel like part of, part of passing on what I have learned is, is then seeking what they are learning. And it's kind of a neat thing that you know, I learn from them and they learn from me. So that's the concept of reverse mentoring is that they train me. They train you. (laughs) (laughs) And the old person is getting trained by the young person. But in the process of doing that, Uh it, it brings up really neat conversations. And then, and then I can pass on the things that, that I have learned, um, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend or a sister, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I love that so much. That's a, I love, I've never heard that term before reverse mentoring. Yeah. But I mean, that's what we're trying to do with this project is just encourage women. We need each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we want people to listen to the show and be encouraged by the stories of the women on the show, but we also want them to go into their neighborhood, their community, their church and find those women that they can connect with and mentor or do reverse mentoring. Yeah. Cause we have so much to learn from one another and it doesn't matter what age you are. We really do. And mm-hmm. I, I think in the process of opening up and saying, mm-hmm. I've got still more to learn, which I loved your question. Like in this stage of your life, what are you trying to learn? Because I feel like in part of that, it really opens the door yes. for, you know, for, for us to help each other. And for me to share the things that I've learned some by intentional learning and some by the school of hard knocks. Yes. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We're going to talk about homemaking tasks. And this section is a rapid fire, quick answer. Okay. All right. You don't have to just give me a yes or a no or a short answer. You can tell me a story if you want to. But, okay. But feel free to elaborate or not. Okay. All right. All right. One homemaking task that you love. Um, cooking. It's, okay. it's, I think it's an extravaganza. It's just fun to me. Mm-hmm. I like to bake and I like to cook. Um, I like to cook because you can just play. Mm-hmm. Um, like I imagine that this would taste good with this. And sometimes I play a game with myself. If I you know, don't have a pantry full of things that I have planned for a recipe or something, I'll just say, okay, I like, what can we make with this? And I just think about the fun Um Cooking is also super fun to me because when we go on vacation with our kids now, mm-hmm. um, they grew up experimenting in the kitchen. And so now the kids each will take, you know, the, each couple will take a night or a oh, day and yeah. they're in charge of whatever we have. And it's always something better than whatever I would make. It's yeah. so much fun. So cooking is something I love and, and baking too. Awesome. Do you have a favorite resource that you go to for recipes or inspiration? Um, well, I have learned to use the internet now. I, (laughs) I do that a lot. Um, I have a really old cookbook that I got, gosh, I think it was the early nineties. Um, it's called nut bread and nostalgia and it, it came from like the, the junior league in South Bend, Indiana. And those are the best cookbooks. Oh my word. Those junior league cookbooks. I love that thing. It's got really old pictures in it. Oh, cool. Um, and then like little, you know, historical, when you were having this kind of gathering, you would do blah, 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 you know, a little explanation. And then, you know, Bev's creamy chocolate squares might be the best thing I've ever made. Oh, (laughs) It's like this multi-layer, you know, like ooey gooey chocolate brownie kind of thing on the bottom. And then like a creamy center with like a ganache chocolate on top. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just, so you don't make it all the time. No. But when you do, you want to eat the whole pan. (laughs) That's so fun. I love junior league cookbooks. Yeah. All right. How about a task that you hate? Oh gosh. Um, a task I hate. I, I really think straightening is my worst thing. Straightening. Just like just 
going through the house. Making sure the clutter is put away. Okay. Um, I I may or may not have called it debris when the kids were (laughs) growing up. I'm like, the bomb has gone off and now we have to clean up the debris. So um, yeah, that's probably my my least favorite because I actually like doing things like clean a bathroom Mm -hmm. because... It sparkles when you're done. Yes. And I lo- I actually really like that. The mirror is all clean and, you know, it's just putting away toys or papers or whatever. I, you but know. you're going to have to do this again in probably 12, 12 hours. Minutes. Yeah. 12, I was like 12 <laughs> hours. I'm, th- I'm in the empty nest brain, yeah. actually. But yes, when you have four children, four years apart, yeah, you're pretty much cleaning up all the time. I can see that. <laughs> all right. How about a task that you grew to love? Laundry. Okay. I... I would have said laundry was my most hated task when the kids were little. And I discovered when we moved into this house, um, because the other two houses I've lived in, my laundry was in the basement. In the basement. And yeah. I have a first floor laundry oh, and it's like, it's fabulous. It's, it's light and it's above ground <laughs> and it's finite and I can actually accomplish it. And I realized I didn't actually hate laundry. I just hated going into a cold, dark basement. Of course. So... There you go. That makes total <laughs> sense. What about your worst homemaking fail? Oh, gosh. Um, I think that happened when I was a little girl, actually. Oh, all right. Um, my mother was, like I said, very, very willing to let us just do things in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have this very beloved family cookie recipe called Duncan Platters. And you make these, gi- they're giant cookies. And so... It's like a it's like a quadruple batch of chocolate chip cookie dough, okay. right? So a double batch would be like a quadruple batch, and why would you ever make less than a double batch, right? So, <laughs> so I'm talking like two pounds of butter, and wow. Like, so this is like it was giant, and somehow um, I decided that the recipe didn't call for teaspoons of baking soda. I put a half a cup of <gasps> baking soda in. Oh my god! And it, I did, of course, the dry ingredients are the last thing you put in before you put in all this like <laughs> cereal and grape nuts and all this stuff. And I, I made the first taste and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell my mother this. Oh, like, no. I don't know how I'm going to tell her. Cause this is probably, you know, I was thinking in my head as a little probably nine or 10 year old girl, like that's a lot of money right there. You yes. Know? And I called her over and she was a champion. Oh. I mean, she was a hero. She said, well, I guess we're just going to have to throw this away and start all over, aren't we? Oh my goodness. And it was one of those big Tupperware fix and mix bowls. Like giant. Like yes. full of oh my cookie dough. And she just quietly dumped it in the trash. Oh. And she, ha- I don't know how she had all those ingredients still in the house too, but she had five kids. So maybe that's why, but she brought all the ingredients back out and mm-hmm. she said, well, you go at it again. And she didn't like she didn't babysit me or say, no, I need to do it with you because you really messed up. She just said, Aww. like, go for it again. And I did. And they turned out great. But I will like, I've never forgotten that. So whenever I am doing anything, I'm like, okay, you need to check yourself, Joyce. You know? like, pay, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Don't be doing other things. And, you know. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Well, she handled that really well. She did. Yeah. That was a great example for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about a memorable homemaking achievement? Hmm. I think a memorable homemaking achievement, we did a lot of transformation to that old 1923 house that we bought when we first got married. We basically redid every room in the house. Mm -hmm. Like it had the old lath and plaster walls and everything where you would take a hammer and try to hammer a nail in and it would go like, tink. Like there was yeah. like, no, you couldn't, you just couldn't do it. Um, so Scott really just drywalled everything. And then it was my job to be the decorator. And, you know, it was in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I learned how to wallpaper mm-hmm. and I, again, not naturally a great decorator, but I, I really like paid attention and I got a couple of people who were like mentors from church to come and help me. Mm-hmm. And, and they did, they helped me pick out the stuff and then they helped me come and hang it. And I, I mean, it was, it felt like a masterpiece when it was done. I'm sure it did. And, and the kids loved it and Scott loved it. And it made me think like, okay, I was, no, I didn't learn how to do this growing up. This was not one thing we did as, 
growing up. But but I I really wanted to do it and and I, I figured somebody will help me and they they did. Yeah. So yeah, that I felt like that was pretty good homemaking achievement. <laughs> that is, that is. It's not easy to wallpaper. Um and that's coming back, by the way. Wallpaper, I've wallpaper noticed Wallpaper is back in. I, I have actually told my daughter, because they're talking about wallpaper, I'm like, be careful. They're tricking another generation exactly. because <laughs> you put it up, you got to take it down someday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think they have come a long way, though, in what, like, like the technology of what wallpaper. What comes off the wall. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so. I've heard that, too. Anyway, I'm still not going to put any up in my nope. house. <laughs> I've done that. Paint no. is easier, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. How about your top three homemaking tips? Keep it up. Keep I think up. that's my, you know, don't let, don't let this, this stuff get on top of you. Mm-hmm. Stay on top of the stuff. And if you have stuff that you don't love, like love, love, mm-hmm. just get rid of it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I heard somebody say that it was probably back in the day when I was trying to figure out how to get my life under control. And I didn't have that much stuff. I just had a lot of kids, but I, I realized this doesn't actually bring me a ton of joy. I don't really need this. And, mm-hmm. and so I gave it away or I sold it or I threw it away or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that's a, a big thing is okay. stay up with whatever you have. And if you have more stuff than you need, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are good tips. Very good tips. Oh, I guess that was one. I'm supposed to give you three. Oh, you oh gosh. Me three. Okay. Well, so keep it up. That's one. Yeah. And get rid of your stuff. If if you're not using it or it's not bringing you joy. Yeah. Do you have another one? Um, yeah, just don't think you have to have everything perfect to have people in your home. Mm. I Open the doors and let people come in because really the joy of a home is the people. Yeah. And so, and this is our opportunity to invest in people in their lives and share Jesus with them and, all of that. So I guess, honestly, that would probably be my biggest homemaking tip is just open up the door. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah. So we're going to end our time today talking about the art of home. What does that mean to you when you hear that phrase, the art of home? I, well, I showed you a picture in my office that had a little quote on it. Um, a home built with love has rubber walls. And I guess that goes along with the open up the door thing that I yeah. talked about a bit ago. And I think the art of home is that it needs to be a place where everybody feels that they belong mm-hmm. and they're secure and safe and they can walk in and whatever happened on the outside can be like debriefed, talked mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. cried about, laughed about, um, problem solved through whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also a community project. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like homemaking is really a community project with whoever is in the home at the time. Even when we had kids that weren't our kids over for dinner, whatever I say, you know, you're not allowed to leave hungry. Also, mm-hmm. you, we do dishes. And so come on. And, yeah. and they'd be like, what? <laughs> and yeah. So, and, but that was, it turned into fun, you know, mm-hmm. turn on the radio and dance in the kitchen and laugh while you're, you know, making a mess, cleaning up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're, you're giving ownership to the people who live here. Um, and I like, I like that term, a community project. It's like a community art project. It's not just your art project. Mm-hmm. It's for everybody that, that lives here and comes into these these walls even for just an evening. That's great. So how can you find beauty in the midst of the mundane work that we do? Uh, mm-hmm. This is somewhat of a humble occupation, homemaking, because the work we do is kind of humble. It's cleaning. It's wiping bottoms. It's, you know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> expect a question to make me cry, but oh. like... um yeah, that is a, that it, it's not, it's not a wasted life job. You know, mm-hmm. it's such an important job and it it's actually, I think it's a job that has eternal value Yeah, um, because every person who's a part of your home is someone you can pray for while you're folding their clothes or while you're wiping their little bottom or cleaning up their barf or while you're, <laughs> you know, yeah. cleaning the toilet 
or, mm-hmm. or washing the bottle for 9,000th time or whatever, like that is, that's eternal work. And so I don't know when I learned to, to pray for those in my family and, and even those who someday, those kids who they might marry or who they would impact as they yeah. were going to school or whatever. So I'm sure somebody told me that. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like I made it up out of my own head, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm grateful for that view because honestly, I think being in a home, making a home for whomever it is that you live with or whoever it is that might come. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I mean, there are people who probably listen are listening who have kids, some who don't, mm-hmm. some are married, some who aren't, yeah. some who live with people, some who don't. And I think a home is a place where anybody who walks through the door could be a person that you could take to Jesus and, and pray for them and yeah. um, for their good and their blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the mundane stuff can turn into something really different. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at it that way. Yeah. That's a great perspective. Yeah. yeah. Well, what advice would you give to a young homemaker out there who's listening? Find other women who are in your stage of life mm-hmm. and share the truth of your life with them, like the good days, the bad days. Um, we did fun things when I was a young mom and I was at home with all my kids. Um, in some ways it was productive, in some ways it wasn't, but I had a really good friend who we would once a month, we would go to each other's house and help each other like with a, with a home project. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I want to, I want to clean out this, whatever, or I want to do whatever. And we would do that together. And I don't know how productive we were, um, yeah. but we did a lot of talking while we did it. And our kids were all over the place. She had six, I had four. So, I mean, there were kids everywhere. Um, (laughs) But, but we, we actually did that. And I would say the other, on the other end of it, find women who are ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Um, My best friend would always say um, a chapter or a chapter and a half ahead of you is how she would always say it. And I like that. And, um, and the Lord will provide that. I think Mm -hmm. if you just ask him, I, I literally asked him, will you give me people Mm -hmm. who can show me things? Um, And he just, they would just fall into my lap. And on the other end, there were people who would just fall into my lap that God would, who I could just walk alongside, who were maybe even a half a stage under me, you know? And so I think there's always the looking up and the looking back. So yeah. Great advice. Thanks. Well, thank you for joining us and for sharing your story of home. I really appreciate it. It has been my pleasure. I, and I hope that it's a blessing for everybody who gets to hear. Okay. Thanks for joining us today for this homemaker portrait of Joyce Newhall. We hope her story has inspired you to consider that a house built on love has rubber walls. That is, you don't need a bigger, nicer, newer space to be a better homemaker. In whatever space you're in, let your homemaking be motivated and inspired by love, and there will always be enough of what you need and room to share that with others. If this episode was helpful, would you pass it on to a homemaker you know who could use some encouragement? As always, we encourage you to meet face-to-face with another homemaker. As Joyce said, find somebody who is a chapter or a chapter and a half ahead of you that you can learn from. And then someone who is on about the same page as you, who you can relate with and be real with. And if you don't have those women in your life, ask God to bring them and then follow through when he does. Again, just a reminder about the new way we have for you to leave us a review. Go over to lovethepodcast.com slash the art of home and rate and review. You can do this no matter what kind of device you're using. And then when you review, it will show up on all the places that the art of home can be listened to. It just takes a minute. It's really simple. And that review will help other listeners decide whether or not the art of home is a good fit for them. So again, just another way you can help get these amazing stories out to encourage homemakers all over the world. So thank you. Connect with us over on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All those links are below in the show notes. And you can also send us an email, contact at theartofhomepodcast.com. 
resources mentioned in this episode, Joyce's top three homemaking tips and suggested resources related to the things we talked about today are listed down in the show notes and on our website. And don't forget, as always, you can get a peek into Joyce's home over on the website, theartofhomepodcast.com slash blog. Click on the link to this episode. This is season three, episode three, a homemaker portrait of Joyce Newhall. Until next time, keep practicing your art of making a home. Mm -hmm.